0: Well, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Woo-hoo! All right. I had to get at least one woo-hoo in. How many of you count my woohoo's? Some of you actually count my woohoo's during the service. My son does, so that's awesome. Well, you guys, what we've been doing as a church, this is your first time here, one of the things that we're doing is we're going through the Bible in five years' period of time. And how we do that is six days during the week, we read the scriptures together as community. Uh, You can get a schedule of those uh, readings at the information desk. uh, And you can uh, get, it's got the whole readings for the entire year, so you'll know exactly where we're at. And then on Sunday, whatever we've read during the week, we come back and we, this is what our message is on in whole or in part. And this is how we go through the word of God. And right now we're in the book of Exodus together. And we're kind of in the, I would call this kind of the dry reading section, you know, unless you're really into architecture, right? This week was kind of a a dry reading. I'm reading about the Ark of of the Covenant. I'm reading about the table and how it's constructed and the altar and how it's constructed. How many of you were like, okay, okay. I'm reading. Yeah, it's so specific. It really is. But you're reading and you're kind of like, uh, yeah. maybe some of you who are architecturally minded are like, maybe I want to build that. Have any of you ever thought about wanting to build what what they had there because they have some replicas? Nobody? Nobody at all? Well, Yeah, one person. There we go. So but for a lot of us this is kind of like dry reading it's like the instruction manual like you get a new cabinet from Walmart and it's like oh this is what i have to read right that's kind of what we read this past week so what we have actually that that tries to help with all of our devotion times but we have a youtube channel that we break down and do a little devotional off of our readings to help pull one thing out of it, which can be very helpful in drier sections of scripture where maybe the point of what we're reading is not as evident. And so this past week, if you were on youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church, you got six devotionals that not just read the scriptures that we were doing as the church together, but you got a devotional that helped kind of bring that back into context and maybe something that you could take with you throughout the day. So want to encourage you to do that. So this past week we read Exodus 25 through 30. How many of you read your chapters this week? Raise your hand. Woohoo, nice. All right. And what we're having is this idea of preparing. This is preparation. All of these are instructions. They literally are instructions. They haven't been built yet, but they're going to be built. Okay? And so the title of the sermon is called Preparing to Worship God in Community. Because that's what's happening. They're preparing to worship God in community. Up until this point, as they've come out of Egypt, all worship has been kind of personal in nature. And now God is prescribing a corporate type of worship. When I was in college... Back in the late 90s, right before the turn of the millennial. I don't even have to say turn of the century. It's the turn of the millennium. Anyway, so I just, I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. Makes me seem older than what I really am. Um, when, when I got there, we were in a, in a Christian college at the time. And one of the things that we loved about being in the Christian college was the fact that we were worshiping in the gymnasium. I know that sounds weird, but there's a kind of an idealistic type of, of thought as it pertains to worship when you're young and on fire for Jesus, right? I just want to be about Jesus. I want to worship God wherever that I can worship God. And you know what? The fact that we were worshiping in a gymnasium, we had our choir concerts in a gymnasium, seemed like it personified that you can worship God anywhere. And so the last year, my senior year in college, at this Christian college, as I'm getting my degree for youth ministry, right, um, they had been on a campaign to raise $7 million for a center that would be for their music, that would be for the chapel times, that would be for the gatherings, that would be for the recitals, because they had a very large music ministry, and still do to this day, at this college, and I can tell you my idealistic self and my friends' idealistic selves were all like, oh, why are they raising all that money for something so vain as a worship center or a place that's there? And if you have been around other people who have those same complaints, right, we could be in our culture today, and guess what? We hear some of those same complaints. Why do you have such ornate Worship centers, you know, aren't you supposed to be a church? Aren't you supposed to be giving things to the poor and to those in the community? And, and how can we be a witness for God when we have all these grandiose buildings together? And you're spending all your money on those things and you could be doing so much more good with them. You guys ever heard anything similar to that by the culture around us? Have you ever struggled with that yourself to a certain extent? I'll admit I did. I'm at Ticoa Falls like, we well, don't need no stinking building. Seven million dollars for this building? I, that, that seems like such a waste of money. Why would we want to do something like that? And the truth of the matter is, there's some validity to that and some not validity to that. We're going to be kind of struggling with that together in this sermon. Because one of the things we have to come to terms with is that when we're talking about the tabernacle and later the temple, these are things that are prescribed and allowed by God as an act of worship. Uh, to give you guys an understanding of what the word prescribed means for some of you that may not understand that what we have in the scripture are two different types of things you have prescription and description right prescription means that this is something that god commands concerning his people in following in obedience Description means that the Word of God is describing an accurate account of something that maybe he didn't necessarily approve of, because we see a lot of things in the scripture that god doesn 't necessarily approve of, but we recorded it and it 's recorded accurately so that we can see what has happened it doesn 't mean that He prescribes it, right? We read about judas 's hanging of himself, well, did God prescribe that to happen? Or are we simply describing what happened? We're describing what happened. But when we come to worship, and more specifically places of worship, we find something a little bit different. And I think it's important for us to wrestle with this a little bit and have the right heart so that we know how to give answer to the world that's around us. Because there's kind of a double standard when it comes to all things of faith versus those things that are secular minded. Think about it this way. While I'm sure it does happen to a small certain extent, most of us don't necessarily mind the ornate buildings to the the parks that we go visit. We go to Disney World and we want to see the ornate designs and the rides that are there because that looks so cool and there's something that's really neat. And we don't really give a whole lot of thought of how many millions of dollars are spent on each one of those buildings that are there. As a matter of fact, we spend the money to go to some place like that so that we can have the experience of that place. Or if we've ever been to, for example, the Empire State Building. Anybody here been to the Empire State Building? Anybody ever go to the top of it? Why? Why? No, no, no you, you understand. This isn't a condemnation, okay? Why? Because it's an event. It's like, oh, this is an amazing piece of architecture. We get to go up 103 stories to be at the top of something. Oh my goodness, what a, an incredible thing, right? Or the Sears Tower. I still call it the Sears Tower. It's not the Willis Tower. I don't even know who Willis is, okay? But the Sears Tower, guess what? The same thing. They have the top section, sectioned off for people to come up for what? The experience of such a magnificent building that's there. Does anybody sit there and think, wow, they spent these millions and millions of dollars on this building. What a waste of money. We don't do that, do we? Isn't that interesting? But when it comes to our churches, that's exactly what we think about. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that there's ever a time where we have gone in excess. But why do we have a different mindset when it concerns things of this world as opposed to the things of God? Oh, because we're supposed to be better stewards of them. Well, this passage of Scripture is going to kind of attack our sensibilities to a certain extent. Because we have a prescribed manner of worship that is very ornate, that's given by God. we have to come to terms with that, that God prescribed it. He's not describing it. Everything that we read this past week had to do with the description of things that people were supposed to make exactly as God had commanded for the worship of God in community. So, take a look at the synopsis of it, which happens at the beginning of this section of Scripture, Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. And it says this The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Goat hair, ramskins dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense and oinic stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breast piece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And the first thing God says to the people of Israel who have just come out of what? Slavery, right? They're out of Egypt. They have been slaves. They have been imprisoned. They have been oppressed. They get out. They come to the mountain of God. And the first thing that he tells them to do after he gives the Ten Commandments and after he gives the moral law and how they're supposed to begin to live as community together, he says, build me a place. And here's what you're supposed to use it for. Use the acacia wood. Use gold. Use silver. Use bronze. Use these fine linens. Grab the stones that are there that are precious of value for the ephod and the breastpiece that's to be on the high priest to represent worship of God. To a people who just came out. Now, where would they have gotten that? They would have gotten this from the plunder that they got from the Egyptians. Remember, God made uh, the Egyptians favorable to the to the Israelites as they were leaving, and so they plundered the Egyptians with all of these things as they were leaving. That please take it, so that God doesn't attack us anymore. And so that's exactly what happened. And now it's from this plunder that the Israelites finally have something. God is saying, now give of a free will offering to me. This material that I need for this place. And it wasn't the cheap stuff. You'll notice there's no plastic. Right? Everything here is ornate. Everything here is supposed to be designed by a skilled craftsman. Everything here is to represent this. And the amazing thing about all of this is, after all of this, verse 8 says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Far from it being against God's will for people to come together in the place of God in an ornate place, on top of that, God not only prescribes it, he says when you do it, according to the way that I've told you to, I will dwell with you. That's pretty important, don't you think? If you've ever struggled, and, and all of us have, right? I did. If you've ever struggled with people talking about building projects for a church, of why would we do something like that? Couldn't, couldn't we just go back to What the early church did, they were meeting in houses together, and wouldn't that be the way to go? And I have nothing against house churches, by the way. House churches are awesome. But do you know why the original disciples were meeting in houses? Because they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't an open session that they could just come out and and say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus. They were being persecuted by the Jews. They were being persecuted by others. There would be 10 persecutions. Great persecutions during the Roman Empire until Christianity was made the official religion of the Roman Empire. Christians were meeting in houses because to meet in the open was to invite persecution. If you were to go any place around the world right now where brothers and sisters in Christ are having to meet in secret and you were to ask them, would you like to meet out in the open, I'm pretty sure most of them will say yes. They know God is with them where they are. But the glory of being able to worship God out in the open in community, so that other people can see and be attracted to this God whom they're serving, is a desire that every single person in a persecuted country wants. So, I'm not against the house churches, and I'm not against going back to what we're talking about in, in the scriptures, but we have to understand why they existed in the scriptures to be accurate. The meeting together, as we've talked about, is still something that we're commanded to do. And a house church works great for about 20 people. But once you get over 20 people and you have 100 people, it's kind of hard to fit them in your house. Unless you've got a bigger property, right? And at some point it becomes too big and too cumbersome to meet there. And so the idea that you meet together in a corporate place of worship where you have a building for the purpose of equipping the saints for their works of service, which is what we're called to do as leaders, makes sense. What makes the difference? Where, where should our sensibilities lie when it comes to us meeting together? Knowing that God has prescribed an ornate feature with the tabernacle and an even more ornate, ornate feature when we talk about Solomon's temple... And God says, your son, when he talks to David, will build this for me. What happens? What's the difference? Where do we go too far? Because I played just a couple of weeks ago, right? That, that little segment from Michael Todd and his 54 million. And I said, I don't subscribe to this because we have a pendulum swing two different ways. We'll talk about that in just a second. One pendulum swing is almost like myself back at Tacoma Falls College, back at that idealistic, like, all I need is Jesus. We don't need any of these buildings. We don't need any of these other structures that are here. Seven million dollars. You could do so much good in so many other places. You know who I sound like? I sound like Judas on the, on the week that Jesus was betrayed and that he died. Mary comes with this ointment, this expensive pure nard that could be sold for 300 denarii, a whole year's worth of wages, and is poured out upon Jesus. And who's the one who stands up? It's Judas who says, Ah, this! Such a waste! It could have been given to the poor! Jesus says, Let her alone. She's anointing me for my day of burial wherever this gospel is preached, this will be proclaimed. That is a bad thing. And so there's got to be something more to our worship than just a dollar sign on anything that we're looking at. Because Jesus accepted that worship, called it good. Whereas Judas was the one who was saying, oh, give that to the poor. Doesn't that sound like our age, right? Couldn't we just do so much more with that money? And I'll have to admit, that was me. To Coal Falls College, oh, we don't need a $7 million building. No, we just love Jesus. We just sing in this place. Kind of had this Judas heart about myself, this this idealistic fervor, if you will, but misplaced. And why was it misplaced? We'll get into that in just a moment. Because later on, what would happen with these ornate buildings, when we think about Solomon's temple, for example, Solomon's temple would exist for a little over 400 years before judgment would come down on the people of Israel. And the judgment would come down on the people of Israel because they were no longer worshiping God. They had succumbed to worshiping other idols. And their worship was just going through the motions. And they thought, because we have this temple somehow, God is among us. And so the prophet Ezekiel, while he's in Babylon, is given this vision of God. And we'll read about a couple of sections of it real quick. And this happens before the destruction of Jerusalem. It's very important to note but Ezekiel is already in exile. There were three different exiles. Ezekiel's in the middle exile. The final exile is at the destruction of Jerusalem. And in Ezekiel chapter 10 and chapter 11, he's given a vision. Verses 18 and 19, it says this, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. And while I watched the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the Lord, uh, the glory of the God of Israel was above them. So we continue on in chapter 11. Toward the end of the chapter, it says, Then the cherubim, With the wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonian in the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. That before the destruction of the temple and before the destruction of Jerusalem in the Babylonian exile, the glory of the Lord departs the temple. And all of its ornate fastenings, right? Everything that is there that gave everybody the idea that God is with them, it didn't matter. It was an empty building at that time because its owner was gone. And it didn't matter. Because the Spirit of the Lord had departed. It's the whole reason why this ornate thing was was created as a tabernacle to begin with. You were to create it exactly as I said, and I will dwell among you. Now he's leaving, and he's saying, I'm no longer there. It's similar to the words of Jesus that we read in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41, it's right after the triumphal entry, and Jesus comes there and he says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We see a proclamation of judgment that would be carried out by the Romans in 70 A.D. Because with the destruction of Jerusalem came the destruction of the temple that was there at that time. It had been rebuilt after the people had come back from exile. And now Jesus is saying, you're not recognizing who I am. And judgment is coming upon you if you knew what would bring you peace. And that peace is the recognition of the Lord in this place. And they did not recognize him. It was the same sin as the People of Israel of old who had ignored God and the building didn't matter anymore. You see, it's not so much about the building. It's about the honoring of God in that place. That we gather together is not a bad thing. And that we build buildings that honor the name of Jesus is not a bad thing. But if we forget who Jesus is in the midst of that, then it becomes a vain thing. It's where we get the health and wealth gospel on the one end that says, oh, it's got to be more and more immaculate. You know why? Because that wealth tells me that I'm God's favor that has nothing to do with God's favor. It doesn't. Because if we take that to its logical conclusion, then those in poor countries who do not have much are not favored of God. Right? That's where we get. But then you have the pendulum swing on the other end is that you can't have anything at all. Because to have anything at all means that we're using our resources unwisely. And not the way that God would want us to use those things. Therefore, we have to have abject poverty on this other end. that's not necessarily honoring to God either because then we feel guilty over every little thing that God blesses us with. God blesses us with the rain, provides for our families. We pray for our daily bread and God provides for us. How in the world are we to prepare to worship God in community and deal with just normal things? For some of us, this can be a very hard thing to deal with. We start talking about upgrades to our church and trying to do other things. And it puts us in a tizzy because we're like, is there a better way for us to do this with? And the question really comes down to that of intent. Are we wishing to honor and glorify Jesus Christ in all that we say and do? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in this place to where people can come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins, how he rose again, how he is giving life to all who come to believe in him and repent and realize what has happened. And that is the goal of your gathering. And God is glorified by the things that you do to promote that. Whether you live in a third world country in a house church or you happen to have an immaculate place that gives you an opportunity to minister to needs that maybe smaller churches can't. And we should be able to understand that it comes down to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I've heard it both ways I've heard people say on the one end because we are not wise with our money concerning the way we would like it be spent I won't invite people to this place because of that wastefulness though the gospel is preached there and I've heard on the other end of things because that our, our place looks a little shabby and it's not up to, to the standards of this day I want to bring play, to a place where people can be in awe of this place and this is not that place I won't invite people to this place neither one of those things matters it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and if the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached faithfully that we want to see the lives change the people around us, we want to see the culture change one person at a time who comes to know the sacrifice of God through Jesus Christ though we were still enemies as Paul so greatly put during our communion time Then this is the place we invite them to. No matter what it looks like. Got like a half ring of lights that are out up there right now. Some of you didn't notice. Some of you are going, oh, why'd you point that out? Because it's not about the place. That's why I pointed it out. It's not about the place. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives being changed and transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That the spirit of God is active in this place. And where the spirit of God is, there's freedom. And isn't that what we're called to proclaim to people captivated by sin? Man. See, I go different places to feel a little bit of freedom. I, I'm pretty sure you guys do too. Feel a little pre- oppressed by the world. One of the things that I do, and I did this on Friday, is me and Shannon went off and drove. We love the scenery of God. The the heavens declare the glory of God. The creation screams of a Creator, and we hadn't done that in a while. It had been a while since we had taken a drive like that. It was fun. We ended up in Cuba. It was fun. We ate in Cuba. Cuba has good food. Cuban New Mexico. I didn't it'd been hard to drive to the other Cuba. So But you know what? We took the drive. Not not to go out and spend money or do anything other than just I needed a place to recharge and refresh you know some other places that I go to recharge and refresh. I remember going to churches there some sometimes how many of you have been to conferences before? You go to conferences in some of these large churches, and you walk in and there 's just kind of a a sense for those that are proclaiming the gospel of jesus christ there 's a sense of i don 't know awe and peace right excitement sometimes because you 're in a place where guess what i 'm around other people who love jesus and there 's Something peaceful about that. Something exciting about that, isn't it? Despite the fact that it might be a large church and a huge campus ministry that they have there. Or if I go out to camp. I love going to camp. It, it kind of combines those two things together. The the beautiful beauty of creation along with a place to worship God in this rustic atmosphere. I spent a lot of money up there to produce places that we could go and worship but you know what there's a peace because where the presence of the lord is and where the spirit of god is there's peace right there's freedom go to christian bookstores i like going to christian bookstores anybody like me sometimes you just go in there and it's just there's a peacefulness to it i know not every book is theologically sound i preach that from the pulpit okay you guys know but the heart of a lot of the people there, they just want to serve God. They they love the fellowship of believers. You walk into that place and and there's this nice I don't know, it's not even it's not even elevator music. It's just like Christian Christian store book music, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. If you've been there and there's just this piece of walking through there, and there's this creativity that's in me that's unleashed in a place where God is honored. We complain that they built that store. They could have spent that money so many other ways. See, for us, as believers in Christ, it's about the peace of Christ that comes from those that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's why there's no peace in places where there might be ornate buildings, but the gospel is no longer proclaimed, or the gospel was never proclaimed. You can go into those places and feel the tension in your spirit right away. It has nothing to do with how much money they spent on the building. It has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't proclaimed here. So whether we talk about health and wealth gospel, or we talk about Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or whatever else, you can name whatever it is. It's why we don't have peace going into those places. And whereas if you go into a Christian community that truly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, these ornate features seem to amplify the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4. This short epistle, God, God sees fit to put kind of two things together, which I think are very incredible in a short period of, of just 10 verses. Starting in verse 4, Paul writes this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm pretty sure we all want the God of peace, right? Right? Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We move from the peace of God that is found solely in Jesus Christ to this need that Paul has. And he says, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in want. I know what it is to have needs. You know what? And I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things. I can do all things through Him, through Christ who gives me strength. See, the focus is on Jesus, it's not about the need. The focus is on Jesus, it's not about having plenty or in want, it's about Jesus. If if we make it about something other than Jesus, then it becomes about the plenty or the want. You guys following what I'm saying? And so the desire of any congregation that comes together, that wants to do anything for God, whether big or small or any place in between, has to be first and foremost focused on Jesus, nothing else matters. Because a heart that's focused on Jesus is going to do things that are going to glorify God. And maybe God gives us plenty in a time of plenty. So that we can build something up to glorify God with it. Or maybe we're in a time of need. Where we need to depend upon the gospel of Jesus Christ being sufficient for all things. And God will use that to build up the body of Christ. Because our focus is on Christ and not our need. Do you guys understand that? It's why you can rejoice with somebody who's in a third world country. Such as if we go out and do another missions trip to Africa. And see the meager means by which they live by. And say the spirit of God is in this place. And go to a great cathedral someplace else. And say the spirit of God is in this place. You know why? Because if they're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of God is there. And what that should do for you and me is give us Freedom. Freedom in our worship, freedom in our planning, freedom in our our, our desire to honor and glorify God. It's been a number of years now, but I've gone back to Toccoa Falls after they built this $7 million structure that was there. And I have to admit a couple of things. I was wrong. I go in that place and it's really neat because it equips those who are musically talented, which Tocco Falls College definitely focuses on that and gives them a place where they can do real recitals. It gives them a place where they can have a, a, a nice, ornate place for students to come together to worship God. And it doesn't have to be in a gym There was nothing wrong with it when it was in a gym, and there's nothing wrong with it in this auditorium. And I've been back in those rooms that are more professionally uh, decked out, if you will, for those who are learning music ministry. More professional atmosphere so that they can learn that. And you know what? I don't have a problem with it like I did back in the 90s when I was attending there. You know why? Because the people that I went to college with and the professors that, who, have, who I've known there who are just recently retired, they continually preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I would have known then what I know now, when I look at the word of God concerning that, I would have rejoiced over the opportunities that that structure was going to give for people to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think you and I ought to have that same attitude too. We go down and look at these other churches that are fortunate enough to be large and have these facilities, but they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should praise God. And we see a small church on the street, struggling to be faithful and together, but they're preaching the word of God and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, we should praise God. And we should realize that where the spirit of the Lord is is where we want to dwell. Because if he ever leaves that place where the people are, it's just a dead husk. No matter what it looks like. I want to proclaim freedom. I want us to look at the scripture. This is what it says God prescribed them to put all of these ornate things there. Why? So they would honor him. And he says, I will dwell with you. Does he need any of that? No. I think all of us would agree with that. But those things honor him. And so as we think about futures here, we think about someplace else. Maybe we struggle with the things that we've we've done here in the past or might do in the future. Let's keep this in mind. That first and foremost, it's got to be about Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, then I have some freedom to exalt God both in my plenty and in my want. Because I want the Spirit of God to be in this place. Among these people, to change the lives of those who need Jesus. And I want him to use any means necessary. I hope you do too. Do stand with me. My prayer today for you as a believer in Christ is that this puts your mind at ease. That the most important thing we look for in any congregation that we go to, ours or somebody else's, is that they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they are, we rejoice. We rejoice with their success. We rejoice with the abundance that they have. We rejoice with their meagerness. We pray for them and realize that we want whether it's a humble circumstance or an ornate one we want the spirit of God to be in that place because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached and our prayer is that that's what this church will always be to be a people that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ first and foremost that's what we're known for everything else we have the freedom to do to honor God God thank you so much for this time that we have together this day and God I just pray to you, heavenly father for all of us we live in a in an age where a critical spirit wishes to turn down every good thing that you might create for the good of your people and for the glory of your son Jesus Christ God help us to resist the spirit of this age That wishes to critique those who have too much. Don't give enough. Or seemingly have too little. That it's not about any of those things. That it's about the glorification of your son Jesus Christ. And the proclamation of the gospel. That your spirit might dwell with your people. And that lives might be changed because you draw them to Jesus Christ. I pray right now for our congregation that we would always be a people seeking first and foremost to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel without apology and without compromise, O Lord. That because of that is our heart's desire that the things that we do, that we have freedom to do in, that we might do it for the glory of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And to do it in the freedom that you have given us in Christ. And in joy. God, I pray that for us as a congregation. I pray that for us as families. I pray for that as for us as individuals, oh God begins with your spirit being in us because of Christ. May that be the first and only message we wish to proclaim. In Jesus' name, amen.